May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And if you prayed the psalm this week, you know you recognize that, right? The last verse was kind of confusing. Why? I mean, well, it's what I, I have memorized. Almost, I, almost, I almost messed. I almost messed up every yeah, single time. Yeah, I have it memorized one way, but then uh, the English Standard Version is a little bit different. Uh, that's Psalm 19. That was the last verse of the psalm. That was our psalm for the week. So, chapter seven. To recap, um, I told. I think I told you that chapter seven is kind of a summary of what came previous, right? Uh, that we're we're going to get both both theme major themes if you like law and gospel you're going to get both of those in chapter seven uh, in a recap form but um, I thought it might be helpful to point out something that we talked about oh many weeks ago but this really the cent the heart or center of the book is Micah what chapter I can spell it right now already started off in a great book okay Micah chapter Four, we'll say verses one to five, and really the center point of that would be which verse? What's the really the significant verse? Is quoted by Gospel of Matthew. I think I got it right. Or did I write four and I should have written five? What's chapter five? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I meant chapter five. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Verse 2. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Verse 4. 5. And then really the heart of that is verse 2. Sorry about that. Uh, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Right? The, no, that's uh, Isaiah. Matthew. Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem, though you be the least among the tribes of Judah, from, for from you shall come forth a... What? What's it say? A ruler in Israel. A ruler in Israel. Right. So, really, verse 2. This is uh, the prophecy concerning... Direct prophecy... Christ, right? And then this happens often. You'll see this in Psalms. You'll see this um, in sections of like the epistles uh, or in the Gospels. You'll see this with uh, St. Luke especially does this. Is they, they use a literary form that's really different than a form that we use um, in our preaching or our teaching. Um, in, in the Western world, we'll get to what the form is here in a minute. In the Western world, we have kind of, well, I would say probably two primary ways of communicating. Uh, one we call uh, deductive, right? And then the other is called inductive. I, I know we talked about this. I remember Cassie was here and she, she knew what I was talking about <laughs> as far as theory. Uh, deductive is like theme. So you hear a lot of sermons like this theme, then point A, point B. C, and then uh, then a summary or a conclusion that summarizes what came. Before. Yeah, like detectives and stuff would probably use this as well. Right, like deductive right. reasoning. Deductive reasoning. So, uh, what would that what would that mean? They have a, they have a theory, right? And then they look for evidence to back up the theory. And if the evidence backs up the theory, then the theory was true. That's deductive reasoning, mm-hmm. right? Um, and if the evidence doesn't back up the theory, then their theory is wrong, and they go back to the beginning and postulate a different theory based off the evidence and then see if the evidence bears it out. And that's, that's, how, you would, that's how you would prove it in court, too, right? You would say in your introductory arguments, <laughs> you would say, uh, here's what we aim to prove. This is what, you know, as, either as the defense or, or the um, prosecutor. And then, um, and then you'll have your closing arguments that usually is just a recap of all the arguments that you've made throughout the, the case, right? 
That's very Western uh, in its process. It's it's relying upon um, what you see. Yeah, it's relying upon evidence. That's true. Uh, inductive is a little bit different, and really you just do it the opposite way. So uh, you would drop the theme. You might have a uh, how, how would they say it in rhetoric? Um, you know, when you establish a rapport. So you might have a story, or you might have, um, you know, I was thinking the other day about something. <laughs> you know, or I, as I was walking uh, to work this morning, or walking, you know, through on the path, as I was going for my morning walk, there we go, as I was going for my morning walk, I had this idea, right? And we don't even know what the idea is yet, right? It's just that we had an idea. And then, so we'll just put it that way, idea. And then they give you point C, point B, point A, and then at the end is the conclusion. Okay? Right? So then, and this, I'm more inductive in the way that I, that I teach and I communicate. So I give you a lot of information and then I summarize it. You're like, oh, that's what it was all about. It drives some people crazy, including uh, Anne. She will, she will not hesitate to tell you how crazy uh, that, because she's like, get to the point already. And I'm like, I'm getting to the point. Right? She just wants the point, and I want actually, for me, it's, the journey is actually more fun than the actual point, right? <laughs> so this is, more, this is more storytelling, right? Uh, there's a great podcast, if, if you like to listen to podcasts, usually not very long form. Um, his name's Mike Rowe, R-O-W-E. Do you know him? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, what was it? Dirty Jobs, I think, was the show that he had. Um, he has a podcast, because that radio is pretty much dead, but podcast isn't. Um, it's in the, I mean, his mentor really, or who he emulates with Ben, I kind of think who had a similar type radio show. Uh, that's the way I see it. What was the, or, how did you always say? And that, uh, and that's, and that's the, at the end of his radio show, he would always say that. Well, the crewman. Well, that's true too, but that's not what I'm thinking of. Oh, you're talking about Paul Harvey. The Paul Harvey, the there you go. Yeah, and that's the rest of the story, right? But Paul Harvey, his story—it was storytelling. You'd start, and you'd be like, you didn't have any idea where he was going, and then when, when it all came together at the end, it was just beautiful, right? You'd be like, oh. And so uh, Mike Rowe does this. So he'll tell a story, but he changes like the—he he obfuscates enough of the character names that you don't understand the story. Uh, rightly, and then he ends the he ends his show, and that's the way that I see that I uh, that I see it, or something like that. Because he he just he has you look at it from a different perspective, as if you know it might be like he told. I remember one he told it as if it were like ancient Rome, but it was actually about the Kennedys, for example. Well, that was obvious, right? Because Avalon and all that, the way that the uh, JFK that whole family was kind of treated. Now uh, to Hebrew. They do something that would be more like, uh, this would be the conclusion right here, <laughs> if you like, uh, conclusion. And then what they do is they'll move point C, point B, point A, and it might be point C, point B, point A, and, and they would, these are recaps. So let's see, this would be A1, B1, C1, and then this would be A2, B2, C2. And then these correspond to each other. So you hear repetition at the beginning and the end, but the point is actually at the center. Which, for our ears and our minds, were like, um, that would bother us, I think. Especially if you began with law, if you want to just use those abstract kind of columns, 
we started with, with a word of law and you ended on a word of law, um, to us it's like, well, the, the gospel didn't predominate, even though the gospel was right at the heart and the center of the book, right in the middle. And again, you'll see this predominantly um, feature, this type of form. I mentioned the Gospel of Luke, but you'll see it a lot in the Psalms. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, we didn't really take the time to do that here with Micah. Um, but, but actually, what kind of happens here then is, is this recap is really the same thing that happened here at the beginning. Happens again at the end, but in reverse. Okay. So, before it was kind of like, well, I mean, you can look at the beginning of Micah. Um, he, he starts, oh, I went to sleep, silly machine. All right, uh, let's see, beginning of Micah, how does it start? Hear, O peoples, the Lord is in his temple. The Lord will come out of his place. Um, the king will come, right? Um, and he will come for the transaction, or he will come and... Uh, the mountains will melt before him, and then you will wail and howl and whatnot. Then you you have here at at verse or chapter seven. If you want to flip back and forth, you can do that. You'll see something comparable. That's ah, scrolling really slow. Sorry. All right. Yeah. It it kind of goes. Well, woe is me. You know, I the Lord has come basically, and what has He called me? <laughs> what has He called my people? Um, but then you see that the that the God will forgive Israel. The shepherd will come, and he will he will defeat. And who is who is a God like this God? Uh, this is the God who has has promised to come. So so the God that we meet in A, he's a little bit different than B or A two, but he's actually the same. Here he comes and he and he melts. You know, um, he destroys. He judges. But here he melts, destroys, and he judges, but not so much earthly enemies, but, but sin and death and devil, right? He comes in Christ to overcome that which is our true enemy, which is unbelief. Okay. Any, any questions so far? All right, let's go back to chapter 7 then. Don't hesitate to speak up. Um, 1 through 6, and then verse 7 really is a little bit different, right? It kind of shifts in verse 6. Because we talked at length about how families are opposed to one another, right? Um, and we talked about intermarriage, didn't we? Is that what we talked about when husband and wife are of two different faiths? Maybe that just came up in elders. Yeah. No, we did talk about it here yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, that's interesting, because I, I, I told you I listen to Catholic radio not because I agree with it, um, generally speaking, sometimes, but uh, more because, um, you know, as the expression goes, iron sharpens iron. So it's, one, it's helpful to know what, what, what would a, you know, a, a more conservative Roman Catholic, you know, theologian say today? And is it, is it c- comparable to what we meet, the, Reforma- or the reformers met like in, in 500 years ago? Or is it different? You know, have things changed? Um, but not only that, you know, how do they argue for things? So a caller called in and said, well, what about, you know, when husband and wife don't share the same faith? What, I mean, or what, the caller was actually thinking about dating, right? What if, you know, my, my son or daughter uh, wants to marry somebody who's not a Catholic? And uh, the, uh, the theologian went, he said, well, it's like in the book of Tobit and, and the angel Raphael, 
what is he talking about? Um, but they pull up, he, he's like, the, the, you know, the angel Raf, uh, Raphael, or Raphael as, as he called him, is the, um, is the patron saint of mixed marriages. What are you talking about? I've never heard this before. He's like, well, because there's some story in Tobit. I don't remember the details. You'll have to look it up. Um, about, you know, husband and wife arguing over the faith, and then the angel came and kind of reconciled them or something. Yeah. Talking about mixed marriages, um, mm-hmm. which is a book in the Bible, is it uh, Ezra or Nehemiah? Or as children of Israel coming back to, to uh, the land of Judah, they were, the prophet had uh, received the message from God that they were to divorce their, or put away their foreign wives. Yeah. And, and they all seemed to comply, and their children. Yeah, I don't. I know yeah, what you're talking about. I can't remember which prophet is. I mean, the the really one of the really hard ones is Hosea, where he's given to marry a foreign woman. Yeah, that was a prostitute. A prostitute. Yeah, I mean, whew, that's a hard one too. Um, but no, I mean, God commanded before the people went into the promised land, don't don't marry, don't intermarry with them. Right, actually kill them. Right. Don't intermarry with them. Of course, they don't comply. Um, as not surprising, I suppose. <laughs> when God gives a command that people actually often do the opposite in the face of that command. Uh, Paul agrees with that. It increases trespasses. The law does. But um, what was I saying about this? Oh, um, that they intermarry. And then that's the reason. That's actually the reason for all sorts of unbelief. Um, is because that corruption is brought in the home. And, you know, it's not just intermarriage, though. I mean, we can point to that and look at the history. And, and can it be done successfully? I suppose it can, um, at least when it's two Christians, or it's a Christian and someone who's very apathetic, toward, or atheistic, not atheistic, agnostic, right, who is kind of indifferent um, to matters of faith, and at least the believer, you know, is going to probably hold sway on that. Um, the religious observance, um, especially with the children. Uh, but I gave you an example of a, you know, a Christian and a Jew marrying, and the kids are raised as both, and it's like that's not going to be good. And and that's what you see actually in the prophets when we were reading through, um, reading through Second Kings and Chronicles, uh, specifically with the prophet. Who was the prophet we were dealing with? gets thrown into the pit and Jeremiah, Jeremiah yeah here recently is that um, is, is that the foreign gods uh, have no problem coexisting with, with God the Father Son and Holy Spirit right so the problem isn't that other religions won't, can't tolerate Christianity um, with the exception I suppose of Judaism and uh, Mohammedism you know Islam uh, that don't really tolerate other gods but uh, at least all the all the pagan religions that are around them, uh, not these distortions of Christianity, they um, uh, they'll perfectly tolerate it. I mean, Hinduism, for example, um, but even even Islam to some degree tolerate Christianity, you know, because Jesus is this prophet, right? Whereas Christianity uh, has the boldness, or you know, has an exclusive truth claim <laughs> that there is only one true God, and He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And his name, you know, if you want to meet him, his name is Jesus. That's how you meet him. And uh, all other gods must be set aside or pale in comparison, if you like. Cannot be worshipped along with the true God. Uh, so 
what does that mean for a mixed marriage or for, you know, this, what does he call it? In, in chapter one, he called it harlotry, you know? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual adultery, if you want to put it that way. Um, what does that mean for that? Well, when other gods are brought into the equation or into the, the relationship, um, the true God is, is the one who gets, gets excluded, ultimately. Right? Because they, they'll, they'll collaborate, they'll cooperate, they can be mixed up. Um, but uh, it, will cre- it will create something really messed up. Yeah, I mean, for Christians, it just, it can't, it can't be true. You can't have both. Um, you know, and it's the same thing, actually, for us uh, as Lutherans. We, we would say it this way, in terms of, you know, the two religions, uh, which would be one, faith in Christ for your salvation, or two, uh, your works merit you salvation, you know, through your effort or strength, right? Well, and those are really the two religions of this world, uh, works and faith in Christ. And, uh, but if you try to bring works in, even like, like 10%, you know, it's Jesus 90%, but then, you know, you either take the first step or you take the last step across the finish line. He does all the other stuff in between, but, but you're responsible for some part of that. As soon as you do that, actually, who's responsible? Not Jesus at all. You are. You're ultimately then the one who's responsible for your salvation. Um, if you add anything, works, reason, strength, as Luther says uh, in the third article of the Creed, explanation. So uh, why did I bring this up? Oh, we were talking about mixed marriages, because you have that here at the beginning of chapter 7, right? About how mother is against, um, or daughter-in-law is against mother-in-law, daughter against mother, son dishonoring father. The man's enemies are the men of his own household. And that's because... Um, you know, as Paul says, um, Christ is a stumbling block and a rock of offense, right? Um, he's, a, he's a scandal. Scandalon is the Greek. That, I know this doesn't make us very comfortable, but it does have something to say towards our witness or, or evangelism, is that when we speak to others of Christ, it's going to be received one of two ways. Either... Well, I mean, I suppose there's apathy in the middle, but generally speaking, if, if he's preaching, being preached for the forgiveness of sins, it's either, either going to be received um, by faith, uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit, right? To say, that's the, that's the Savior I need because I struggle daily against my sin and unbelief, right? Or in rejection because I refuse to acknowledge that I'm a sinner, um, that I have um, transgressed against the Lord's commands, that, that there's anything wrong with me. Um, I'm, I'm perfect just the way I am. Right? No, not right. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, this just makes us uncomfortable as Christians because we think we can make a, um, hmm, how might you say it? We can make a, a very effective argument. <laughs> we, can, we can convince people into the kingdom. Right? It's just a matter of saying the right words at the right time and making the right argument and having the right programs or the right things happening, you know, so that we're a compelling, um, what do you want to say? You know, that, that, that we're this compelling force that you just have to be a part of this community. Uh, now, there's some truth to that, of course, right? <laughs> like, if somebody walked in the door and the first thing somebody says to them is says, you know, you're not dressed right for church today, um, they're probably going to turn around and walk out, Right? So there, there, your own like behavior can get in the way of faith, right? Um, 
But, but the, on the flip side, you could also say, you know, we preach Christ, we preach him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. We do that every week. We make that abundantly clear, um, both in the way of our preaching, but also in our hymnody and our liturgy. It's all centered around that work of Jesus for us. Um, and then somebody comes in and they're like, nah, just doesn't do it for me. Do what for you? Well, that's a whole other conversation. But you're like, how could they refuse such a good... Well, it's because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and only by the God, the Holy Spirit, working faith in the heart. Right? So, but what Mike is getting at right here, anyways, I'm going to have to turn off the sleep function on this. Uh, what Mike is getting at right here is that, um, hmm, this is, it's going to drive, there's going to be, in some cases, a wedge right in the middle of the family. Right? Um, the, the household being opposed to one another. And uh, this actually played out in terms of uh, actual households. Um, you know, you see this with the apostles, where, how do you want to say it? Where the, um, oh, where families were spying upon families. Um, I thought of this, or it was brought up to me um, in one of the podcasts that I'm on, that, uh, that in Soviet Russia it's that way. We talk, I think we talked about that, actually. Bishop Litkin did. Mm-hmm. That something like three out of five were actual operative. Three out of five people were actual operatives for spies for the for the government. So in, even in the Christian congregation, three out of five people there were spying on you, looking for some cause. Because you would, there would be a reward to turn you in for whatever crime against the state, whatever that looks like. Not incredible, um, and that's happening here too. Oh, huh. All right. So, let's see. Uh, But verse 7. Let's look at verse 7. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God uh, will hear me. All right. So, you see how that's the only response, whether it's it's oppression or or persecution from your family, um, whether it's uh, even what you perceive as God being antagonistic to you, because of your sin or unbelief, um, or God disciplining you harshly, right? Uh, whether it's an outside enemy, whether it's the state, the princes, whether it's the judges, you know, the rulers, um, those who judge the laws, no matter who it is that um, is out to get you, so to speak, um, including your own family, you have, you have hope in one, right? Which is to look, look to God Wait for, for the God of your salvation. Uh, your God will, my God will hear me. You notice it's not, um, he's not subjunctive. That's the grammatical term. He's not using the subjunctive. It's, it's future active, I guess, is the, the voice. I will look to the Lord. I will, not like I might, I may. <laughs> or, and also, I will wait for the God of my salvation. That's not, I might. Or I will, because my God will hear me. So you notice, you notice uh, that tone of voice. What what does it come off as? Confidence. Yeah, yeah. Confidence, faith. He will hear me. Right? Not he might. Oh, if I'm really loud, if I'm really, um, or if I pray fervently, or if, um, you know. Uh, Jesus talks about this with prayer. We talked about prayer catechism this week, right, Luke? When we talked about prayer, does, does God need long and lengthy prayers? You know, no. Um, 
does he, is he going to take care of you even without your prayers? Yes, that's right. Daily bread, you know, especially, um, but deliverance from evil and temptation. So what, why pray? Why say, give us this day our daily bread or instead of something like, maybe take care of me. <laughs> why say that? It's the same reason why Micah says, my God will hear me. We have the hope and confidence that he will give us those things. Yeah, so Micah is saying it and why is he saying it? For your sake, of course, right? So you can hear the confidence that the prophet has. But here's the thing about saying things is um, words, words are actually powerful, right? So uh, we do this. This is really what we do every time we gather is we say to God what he said to us. And why does he need to hear all of his words repeated back to him? <laughs> Well, no, not really. Um, he's pleased to hear them, though. He doesn't need to. He's pleased to because that's how he works faith. So while we say something like, I believe in God the Father, uh, maker of heaven and earth, while we say that, we also are, according to the flesh, thinking, believing. I don't really believe in God the Father who made heaven and earth. I, th- I believe in, I don't know, that we we're all like pond scum that, that crawled out, turned into um, some kind of lizard creatures and then crawled out and evolved into apes and, and people or something like that. Maybe you don't believe that. <laughs> but uh, but there's, a, there's a way that maybe not, maybe not that he made you, um, but that he's your father, that you, you somehow doubt. While you say, I believe in God the Father, at, at, the, at the same time, somehow you think he's not quite the father that, uh, that you know he is. Right? That he doesn't maybe watch out for you or care for you. He's not, he's not loving and caring and kind, as, as fathers would, giving eggs, not scorpions or something like that. You see how that works? So while you're speaking words of faith, you're speaking the, those words are rebuking your unbelief at the same time. And, and, it, and actually, that's why um, the prophet says, you know, or not prophet, the apostle, Paul, he says, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, now, you can hear in a multitude of ways. Um, so American Sign Language would be hearing as well, right? It reminds me of um, Joshua. Mm. When he said, as for me, my house will serve the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of an obedience type thing, but it's also a faith thing. It is. It's a statement of faith. Um, now, if, if we took the time to go and evaluate Joshua's life after that, or evaluate the household of Joshua, what do you think we would find? Perfect, loving, faithfulness to God? <laughs> no, right? Does that mean the statement's not true? No, it's still true, right? Um, but true in faith, not, not necessarily uh, true through evidence or through sight and so on. This is a challenge for pastors, it's a challenge for Christian congregations, because we'll have somebody, this, this happens frequently, people will say, I'm sorry, uh, I want to do better, please forgive me, you know, uh, for Christ's sake. That's, that's a confession of sins, right? They'll say that to me. Um, and, uh, but then they'll go back to the sin that they confessed. I'm like, well, didn't you say you were sorry? Yeah. Um, but the... Uh, but I, you know, I don't have, I, I don't have this problem. But some might have this problem. I say, well, they said they were sorry. Why did they go back and do it again and again and again and again? Because that's the nature of faith and unbelief 
as they, as they actually, um, what do you want to say, struggle within the same person who is both a sinner and a saint at the same time. Yeah. Why do we, do, how do we get on this tangent? No, it's okay. Oh, he's talking about the statement of faith. Yeah. And, and will he serve the Lord? Will he, will he be faithful? Will he wait? Or while he's waiting, will he also doubt that God's going to come and take care of him? <laughs> it's going to be both, right? Uh, the centurion got it right. The Gentiles often get it right in the Gospels more so than the, the faithful or the disciples. Um, where he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? At the same time. I, I believe, right? But, but, I, but I also struggle with that. Um, I like the way that um, uh, Professor uh, Grothy, who was in... Uh, Mm. Oh, uh, the Concordia St. Catharines, the seminary in St. Catharines, Canada, sister seminary in, in Canada. Um, he, he describes it in terms of a civil war inter- internally. You know, they're brothers, <laughs> but, they're, but they're doing battle, right? The sinner and the saint. Um, all right. So uh, actually, if you look at the sheet, Question two, in the midst of all the wickedness and oppression, Micah expresses his hope and confidence. There, that's what Dale said, confidence. What does he look forward to? And if you had to summarize it, what would you look forward to? Jesus. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Yeah, so now here, what are we pointing to? Verse seven here is pointing back to, again, Bethlehem will come a ruler who will shepherd his people Israel. Right? Yeah. Back to Jesus. And that's what he's expressing his confidence in. Um, we do the same thing, right? Um, we express our confidence in Christ who has come, but we also, at the same time, say, we look forward, you know, to when he will come again. How do we say it in the Te Deum? That's our, by the way, the Te Deum in, the, in Matin service, is, that's really the creed of, of the Matin service. We praise you, O God. We acknowledge you to be our Lord. All the earth now worships you, the Father, Son. Yeah, anyway. Uh, how do we say it in Te Deum? Do you know it by heart? If I kept going? I do, but uh, everybody's talking, so I can't think of Everybody's about. talking. You just keep talking. Stop talking. I can't hear. <laughs> how do we say it? It's in, it's in the, uh, the, at the end. No, that's, that's Venite. That's Psalm oh, 95. It's stanza six, if you like. In the middle. In the middle, you sit at the right hand of God. Oh, this is this, the Christ section, right? Let me go back to five. When you look, took upon yourself to deliver man. Oh, that's salvation language, right? Deliverance. You humbled yourself to be born of a virgin. When you had overcome the sharpness of death, that means he overcame death. You opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. You sit at the right hand of God, right? So that's all the ascension right there, that he opened heaven um, the heavens opened and received him, so it will receive us. You sit at the right hand of God in the glory of the Father. We believe that you will come to be our judge. We believe that you will come. That's what Mike is saying too, right? I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Is salvation already won for you in Jesus Christ? Is it finished? Well, he said it was, right? <laughs> it is finished. Uh, have you received it fully and completely? Yes, by faith, but then face to face, right? I mean, part of his salvation of you is that uh, resurrection of the body, right? And have you, have, has, has your flesh finally um, 
seen the grave and been restored yet? No, but it's his promise. So I will look, I will wait, I will watch. Right. And, and we will pray, come quickly, <laughs> Lord Jesus. Right. We look with anticipation. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes people say, oh, you want the world to end right away. I'm like, yeah, that'd be fine, actually. Um, but if not, it means fruitful labor for us. We'll keep, we'll keep working in his vineyard, as we'll learn today in today's gospel. All right. All right. Now the voice is going to change. Um, whose voice are, do we hear now? Hmm. I guess it's not quite changing yet. Is it still Micah speaking? My God will well, hear me. I think me. it's either Micah or the people. Yeah. Yeah, now it's like maybe all the people. So Micah preaching on behalf of all the people, right? So let's read uh, 8, 8 to 13. Rejoice not over me, my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out of, out of the light. I will look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day of the building of a day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, and from Egypt to the river, from the sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants, for the fruit of their deeds. Okay. Very good. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean maybe it's a switch to so, and, then, and then maybe in verse 11 it switches back to Micah. I, I think that's what the study guide is going to suggest for us. Um, but um, hmm. this is really interesting because this is, this is actually the answer to one of the challenges we talked about. Hmm, I don't remember which chapter. We talked about hypocrisy, right? And I don't know about your experience, but in mine, this is the common complaint against Christians individually, Christian congregation, you know, the church is that you say one thing, but you do another, right? Um, and we should not be ashamed to, to speak to that very directly. Like we have been already, or I have already, speaking that, that I believe um, that I'm a, a Christian, but, but I struggle against actually what God has told me I am in him. And that's why my life doesn't always reflect or frequently doesn't reflect what God has um, said it ought to be like. But that's why I'm in church, actually, is for that struggle, is to hear his word, to be forgiven, to be renewed, and to be strengthened against sin, death, and devil. Um, And so that's what, it seems like, if this is Zion, I think that's right. If this is Israel, he's saying the same thing. Um, They can, you know, they might rejoice over me when I fall, when I'm in, when it looks like I'm in darkness, because the Lord is going to draw me out. He's going to raise me up, right? And so to the world, or to those around you, or to the enemy especially, it looks as if the church is failing. Um, or that even your faith is failing individually. That, that, that you are not only struggling, but you're, you're just not cutting it. <laughs> you're just not, not there, David. 
What? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so notice what, what, what uh, Israel says in verse 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. I'm going to bear it, right? And uh, so, I mean, or another way to say this is to say, uh, yes, I am a sinner. And yes, I deserve everything um, that you've promised for sin, uh, including death. That is exactly right. You know, not going to deny it. I'm going to confess and not deny, but confess. (laughs) Um, Until, until he pleads my case and and I think uh, Dale's translation said executes uh, judgment, right? Okay. Yeah, or we talked about, it could be justice is another way to translate that. Um, so what is, what is the judgment? What is, what is the just decree against sinners? If you're going to be judged according to your sin, it's death. Death, yeah, and damnation. Uh, but how are you going to be judged? According to your sin? Yeah, that's what, and that's what he says, right? He will bring, bring uh, me forth. What did you say? From the light or to the light? What is your bring saying? To the light, to Into, from, to. It's preposition, so uh, it's kind of it can be any number of things. But notice, it's light in the midst of darkness. Who is darkness? You are. Who is the light? Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light no darkness can overcome, as we say, right? And that's how you're brought forth. That's the judgment that you receive is, is light shining in a dark place. Or I will see his, what's your say? The end of verse, verse I, nine. I will look upon his vindication. I will look upon his vindication. Is that clunky? It is kind of clunky. Um, uh, my translation has righteousness. Uh, what's the actual Hebrew? That's what I should be looking at, right? Uh, verse nine, right? Oh, good night. It just took me to a totally different verse. You silly machine. Micah 7, verse 9. All right, there we go. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, let's see. Ka. Ooh, that's interesting. All right, so that's a word I don't really know very well. I will bear his righteousness. This the sadaka. Yeah, no, this is sadiq. This is usually translated righteousness, but vindication. Um, in other words... This is, this is one of the things that um, I think is really helpful to always keep in mind is that God does not set aside his law. He does not forget his law. His law is, is always true, right? And so the wages of sin is death. That always remains true for God has declared it. Um, so then why don't you die eternally? Not because God has set aside his law, right? Or forgotten it or said it no longer applies, it still applies, but it has been applied to Jesus, the one who dies your death, who um, covers your sins. The sins are, are covered for. Death is died for, if you like, if you want to put it that way. Um, God's law, the, the just decrees of God's law are satisfied through, through the substitute, through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And uh, that's what it means to say when he paid for your sins, right? right? Or he redeems you, he buys you back. Is that he satisfies God's law. He doesn't, he doesn't set it, it's not set aside, but it's, but it's um, you know, it would be like um, you owe, because of some crime you committed, you owe 20 years in prison. Uh, no possible, no, no, uh, 
no, uh, what an early release, okay? So 20 years, we'll just pick an arbitrary number, 20 years, and then Christ serves 20 years in your place. So you don't, you don't serve any time, right? But it's, it's more than that. It's a lifetime sentence or maybe multiple lifetime sentences <laughs> and, uh, and death. We'll just say lethal injection or something. And he does that. He actually, he does the time. He, he, is, he is killed for your sake um, so that you won't be. So you see how that works? Why did I bring that up? Oh, vindication, righteousness. Um, you know, that idea of vindication. No, God's wrath is placed upon his son. It, it is not set aside. It's set aside from you, but for the sake of the one who has suffered it in your place. Does that follow? So in a, we'd say it this way. God's law is, I mean, God's law is vindicated. I don't know. How do we, what's the definition of vindicated? It's just an interesting word. You said it was clunky, but to vindicate. There's one verse, I can't remember what book it was, but um, God vindicating according to something. Yeah, it means to, it can mean to rescue or to deliver, but it it does mean to be, to show or to to clear someone of suspicion or blame, right? Um, and, And here the point is, is he does it, he does it by himself. So you are cleared of blame, but you're cleared because of the death of his son, Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So he executes justice for me, right? It's, a, it's given for me, pro, pro nobis, if you like. You know, for you is really, those are gospel words right there. When he, justice for me, it's given to you, it's a gift. So that's beautiful, right? And again, drawing you back to Micah 5. Uh, Then she who is my enemy... Oh, is it really feminine there? I guess it is. She who is my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets or mire in the streets. Uh, That's really a polite way of saying mud in the streets because you know what you throw out your window. In the morning? <laughs> yeah. Okay, do I have to say it? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, fine. Then I won't say it. Yeah, mire or mud. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is why you, you pick up your skirts when you walk through the streets. And you leave your boots at the door. <sighs> um, you know what this reminds me of? This is exactly what happens with, um, with Noah, Right? I mean, what, what do the people say to Noah as he's building the ark, which is the Lord's deliverance of Noah from the sinful world, right? And his family. What do they say about him? You're crazy. You're crazy. You're nuts. You're an idiot. Why are you building such a big boat? What is a boat anyway? <laughs> I mean, they have boats. They have water. They probably knew something of boats because of, you know, lakes, the water being separated from the earth. But then there, what's this thing about water covering the earth? How is that going to happen? Why? Because it's as it says in Genesis, you know, the dew, the the groundwater waters the earth. It's just a fine mist. I imagine that the um, whatever catastrophic event God used to bring about uh, the change of of the world with the flood. Um, I mean, that's a pretty major change of atmosphere. It, I mean, it has to be. If it's never rained and then now it rains, um, what has happened to the atmosphere that was once probably was you know, a wet, you know, think like rainforest or something, you know, a very 
um, fertile atmosphere. Not cold and dry like here right now. I'm rubbing my face because it's so dry. What would have to change in order for the atmosphere to become, you know, for clouds and then, and for rain? It's not accidental. No, it's not accidental. I imagine it's, it's probably, um, you know, somehow the, it's a change of the ground, really, because the water would have come up from the ground. Um, so some kind of, and then we know there's like tectonic, tectonic shifts. I mean, actually, geological evidence demonstrates that the continents have moved, and, and I would I would correspond that probably to the flood would be a good time to kind of put that. So, I mean, this is earth-shattering stuff, and so the people are like, "You're an idiot, Noah. I mean, what are you doing?" Now he's trusting in the Lord. He knows that the Lord will save him from this sinful, perverse generation, um, and yet they mock him, but. Um, Hmm. There's a little bit of gloating here, isn't there, in verse 10? <laughs> you know, in the end, na 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 na, you know. But now who's the idiot? Who's got egg on their face? Well, <laughs> other ways we say that, right? You know? Yeah, Ron. But footnote here for verse 7. Um, let's see, 8, I guess. Uh, talks about the yeah, and I think so. It must be the Babylonians who are mocking them. Right, and we talked about that. I mean, I'm looking forward to kind of you know future, future, future for us even. Um, but that doesn't mean, or it doesn't preclude it meaning something very particular to Micah and then and those who he's prophesying to, right? So. Um, yeah, no, that's true. So there's levels of meaning that way. So we, we take the, the immediate context. I mean, I think I used the example of like, oh, the one I falsely or mis, misquoted before, but Isaiah 6, right? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And that uh, most of the scholars agree that there was a very actual, there was a young, because the word for virgin can mean either young woman or, or a virgin. It's kind of synonymous. Uh, that there was a young uh, woman that bore a son to, to the king. Ahaz, I think, is the king, right, in Isaiah 6. And so in his own, you know, one of his concubines or whatever bore a son. And so it seems to be like it was completed in his own lifetime. But we, of course, know, as the, as the gospel writers say, no, actually, it was a much bigger story than that. That was just a little kind of indication of the bigger story. But you're right. Um, we do this all the time in the church. The ancient church fathers have no problem doing this. I think we should probably do it more, more frequently, is that they would say that um, there's nothing written in the scriptures that is not, well, in the words of uh, Paul, that is not written for our learning. Uh, meaning that the, the little stories indicate bigger stories, right? So, the, I mean, the most notable one you'll hear in a couple of weeks uh, when we have baptism, but unless there's a baptism before that, but the most notable one is the one that Luther does, actually, in the baptism rite, uh, which is a little controversial, actually. It almost did make it into the hymnal, even though it's in Luther's baptism rite, and it's Luther wrote it. You know, We don't accept everything Luther wrote, so it's fair enough. Um, like, his writings against the Jews we're not, so bit, we're not really fans of, for example. Uh, where's baptism? Oh, there's matrimony. There's confirmation. It's probably coming. Oh, yes, this one, right? Where, where Luther does this, with his flood prayer, as we call it, where he, he says, he corresponds the event of the flood to you. So, uh, Almighty and eternal God, according to your strict judgment, you condemned the unbelieving world through the flood. 
And yet, according to your great mercy, you preserved believing Noah and his family, eight souls in all. Uh, And then he gives you some more ones. You drowned hard-hearted Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, and yet led your people Israel through the water on dry ground. Both of these being foreshadowing uh, this washing of your holy baptism. The same thing, through the baptism of the Jordan of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, you sanctified and instituted all waters to be a blessed flood and lavish washing way of sin. So those stories aren't immaterial stories, or they're not just nice stories about God delivering his people. The story of Noah, that is salvation through water, was given as a foreshadowing of baptism. The salvation of God's people through the Red Sea and, and how the Red Sea destroyed you know, Pharaoh and his host is a picture of baptism where, where the... You know, where a devil and your sin is, is drowned and buried in, wa- in that water, that kind of thing. Which, I mean, that's the apostle says it anyway. Peter does, so you don't have to go too far to, to prove that point. So all these things, including the, the people of Israel being taken into captivity and, uh, by Babylon and then being delivered back into the promised land 70 years later after a period of exile. And uh, the way that this plays out, we talked about this, is that right now we would be in the 70th, um, where today is Septuagesima in Latin, it's roughly the 70th day before Easter, corresponding, that this, this is where the wisdom was, corresponding to 70 years in exile. So now the church even, the pattern of the church here is given to teach us the pattern of God's salvation of his people. But also, you know, that there was a time for weeping and mourning over sin. So this season, a little less so these three weeks, but especially Lent, you know, that's a period of, of, of um, intense focus upon um, our relationship to God and the sin and how sin has broken that, right? And then also looking very directly towards, uh, in repentance, towards uh, our own lives. And so um, we have two of those seasons in the church here, one being kind of the end of the church here into, into Advent, and then also now, the after Epiphany, moving into Lent, um, leading up to Christmas. So it's the same thing, law, gospel, law, gospel. I mean, we have that ebb and flow, exile, deliverance, exile, deliverance. That story is over and over <laughs> in the Bible. You might actually just say it this way, death and resurrection, Right? And so even the, even the way the church here is patterned is to teach that, uh, teach the story again, because it's not immaterial. It's, it, is, it is our story, whether it's particularly going into Babylon and then coming out. And notice, even when they're in exile in Babylon, God preserves faith, right? We have really dramatic stories of that. We even have uh, Hebrew men serving as Babylonian princes, Right? who then defy the Babylonian king um, and God preserves them, right? In the midst of what? A burning fiery furnace, (laughs) for example. And then that's used to bring about what? (laughs) A confession of faith by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, is it faithfulness in Christ for for his salvation? Maybe not, but at least he's enough to acknowledge um, that your God is a powerful God who actually saves and does what he says. He's, he, and your confidence uh, was born out in your, own, uh, in your own life, right? You were confident he would deliver you, and he did. And we saw this, actually. And there was one who had the appearance like a son of man in the midst of the flame. Hmm. Who was that? The fourth one in the, in the fire who delivered you. So even there. So not an immaterial story, <laughs> uh, but actually uh, 
uh, worth retelling because of how it teaches us that um, God and Christ does the same for us. All right. Uh, let's see. What else did we not talk about yet? Mud in the streets, trampled. Where is your God? Well, ultimately, who's going to be vindicated? God is vindicated, but who else? We will be too. Right? Um, and not in a gloating way. I said that. Where is the Lord your God? Well, my eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. And is he happy about that? <laughs> I mean, should we ever rejoice um, that, that unbelievers finally get their due? And they, they, they die. They're trampled. That they're cast into the flames. That they're like tears. Is that, should that cause, give us cause to rejoice? No. No, I mean, that, that's what gloating would look like. That's what boasting, because um, um, it's never a good thing, right? And, and we know that's true because, as Jesus says, he dies for the sins of the whole world, right? Um, yeah, so that, that, I imagine that the judgment day, and maybe this is just, you know, kind of pious speculation, um, but as God, as God in Christ separates the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, or all the different pictures, right, of that, um, that there will be rejoicing and mourning, right? Because we, we will see it. Um, and that will be, um, we'll rejoice in our salvation, and, and, and for a brief time, we'll grieve for those who, who refuse to, to believe, refuse the work of the Spirit. That's my imagination, but maybe not. Maybe we just won't think of them at all. I don't think so. Um, there's a parable. Of, or it's not a parable. Whatever. It's a story, I guess. He doesn't call it a parable, but um, of rich man and Lazarus, and that there's, there is a knowledge of, of this. That there's some way to see across the chasm between salvation and, and damnation. Yeah. All right, let's hold off on that um, verse, because then verse 11... 13 is another thing that we want to kind of deal with separately. So um, may the Lord keep you in his faith today and always in the name of Jesus. Amen.